are listening to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Well, it's like when we audit the mod with Magic and give them the action items that they're going to use to lower their total cost of risk. Tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects. Technology is not an expense, it's an investment. Look at what ThinkHR has done for our clients and even our team. It's an amazing product and I'm so thankful we have that. And action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level. Things are changing for us in 2021. Not all big business anymore. Now that we have Cover Wallet on our team, it's amazing that we're going to be able to write small business profitably. This is Power Producer Shop Talk production redefined are you ready to feel the power hey everybody welcome to power producers shop talk where it is friday and i have a lunch date with my wife when we're done recording <laughs> so i'm pumped about that man I so are you gonna get are you doing stein and vine is that why you were looking yeah. at the menu I'm always. Nice. I, I look at their menu daily i know you do but it's that's part the, of my habits but yeah <laughs> it's part of the routine so are you going? Are you going with the uh, the fillet bits and the whatever that was? Because that sounded delicious. That sounded like I would need to have a or the pork or the or, or the pork uh, whatever burger that was. Dude, there's just so many things I can't. Yeah. You know, I, I have to travel with a defibrillator when I go there. <laughs> Seriously. So uh, I signed up for Hell Week at Orange Theory. So. Oof. I'm good for at least getting my Hell Week T-shirt now. There you and go. My surgery scheduled for eleven eleven, so nice. Hopefully, I'm rolling into twenty twenty two ah, so, ready so, to. So, so you're not going to be able to participate in the Big Cats tournament then. Um, That's I don't 11, know, man. So eleven twelve. Dude, stranger <laughs> things have happened. You know what? It's funny, man. I um, I had stitches. my I had my wisdom teeth taken out, and they were impacted, and yeah, less than twenty. Less than 24 hours later, I was Oh, yeah, out. you were fishing like a maniac. I was fishing with the CFO of Kane's Furniture. Dude, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, get, I couldn't get off the couch. No, the I couldn't after. either, man. I, w- I had no business being I out. I was eating in soup anywhere. for like two weeks. I couldn't eat. I was spitting nothing but blood. I was getting <laughs> sick in the front part of the boat. And oh all God. of this, I masked, I masked completely from my friend Daniel Klein, who at that time was the CFO. I was going to say, was that an impressive nice, uh, client well, you, trip? You got yeah. that business. <laughs> That account um, at the time was one hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars in revenue. Yeah. So, to, you, to the sometimes to you, you got yeah yeah oh, to the agency wow. yeah That's good. So sometimes you got to take one for the team when you got a buck sixty-five on the line, man. I I can fight through a lot for. A, listen, I've done a lot of stupid stuff for a lot less money. So <laughs> has anybody told you like you need a you, you know when you're going through these personality assessments or whatever? What are your motivations? And people seem to take it negatively if one of your motivations is money. I don't think that's negative. No. We all have our things. I don't think so it doesn't either. mean you're gold it, digger like they say for ladies, but Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's anything I, I think, you know, in truthfully, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole per se, but I am going to address it because it's something that I believe in. We all get paid commission. That's not enough. Yeah. I mean Like for me, it's not enough just to know that I'm getting the commission. And the commission's really, really good. But I can use some of that money that I'm making to buy things, and things are what I like, right? For sure. So, for example, I always said, like, when who's my in book- sales and not motivated <laughs> by money? I mean, 
Like, right. Yeah. So for me, for example, when my book got to a million dollars, yeah, I had the goal that I was going to buy a Cartier Roadster. Period. Yeah. That's what I wanted. I wanted a Cartier Roadster. I had wanted one for a long time, and every time I started getting close to that threshold. I'd leave the agency I was at, and I had to start over. So finally, when I got to Florida Risk, I got my Cartier Roadster. <laughs> we need yeah. a photo. But, I mean, that's... We need a photo. That? Oh, I've posted it. I've, I've done it. it. I did a video. Yeah, yeah no, I, I've posted it before. And so, to me, that's the thing, though. You, like, the money is motivating, but just knowing, like, if I want something and I'm willing to work hard enough, and I can look at the long term of it. Because it's not like I was just going to go close one deal and run out and buy that watch. It's not mm -hmm. a cheap watch. But I mean, mm -hmm. it's just like we went through this exercise this week. You know, I set a goal this year that I wanted to buy my wife a really nice tennis bracelet. Mm -hmm. And I said, I will buy it when I hit X. And so last week, or actually Monday of this week, I picked up or a brand new tennis bracelet because that's what I set the goal for. I don't think that if I don't think it's wrong to set goals for material things if you're going to reward yourself for doing your job at a very high level. Like I think you have what's the to. point of having the money? Like right. it, it's no different. It's but I, I, I'm not the type that's going to say I want to make a million dollars this year. Even right. if that's what I end up making, I'm going to be more that's motivated fine, for yeah. saying I what want the R8. Right. Yeah, I want yeah, yeah. the Audi R8. Like, what's what my next threshold? That's it. the next thing I'm going to buy. Mm -hmm. Because that's so more tangible. It, it's like, it, you know, if you've got a goal that you're working to that's tangible like that, that's a, whether it's an item or a trip or, or whatever, that's, that's much more. That's uh, why insurance companies have that stuff. Every yeah. single time the insurance carrier rep comes in and says, let me tell you about our trips. I'm like, you know what? Why don't you just give me 10% more commission across the board this year? <laughs> I'll take my own I'll trip. I'll go on my own trip. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not interested in, I mean, Yes, the trips are good. They're well done. You make relationships with other people. But I mean, to me, that's not necessarily what motivates me. Um, mm -hmm. But all that to say, Crystal started her agency from scratch. You have some partners, correct? I do, two partners. Mm -hmm. So we set the table mm -hmm. a little bit last week. Let's talk, a, uh, let's talk a little bit now about what that journey was like. When you decided, because you were at an established, well-known firm. Yes. I imagine doing well, mm -hmm. right? And decided, you know what? Time for me to go do my own thing. Why? Well, you know, I just looked around and said, uh, you know, I'm, I, I was working at an energy company, you know, a 90,000 employee company. And so there's just bureaucracy to fight through there. Um, there's, you know, a limit to what I can do if I'm not going to be a general counsel, I'm not a technical engineering person. So really, what is my end goal here? Well, I looked around and thought, what is my expertise? I've worked in insurance the whole time. If, if I go back into the agency world, I can successfully run an agency. I do have the skills and technical knowledge to do that. And uh, luckily, you know, we're fine as a one income household. If I was going to keep working, it needed to be for something more than just a paycheck. It, it simply stated, it really needed to be. And and building and growing um, a company is really what I wanted to do. So that that was the only way. I wasn't going to build and grow an oil and gas company since I wasn't an engineer, unfortunately. <laughs> so. 
What were your biggest fears? Well, of course, you know, they, I don't want to even say that, you know, people know the term golden handcuffs. Okay. I'm not in that. I was not in that category, but it was a sufficient paycheck that, you know, you have to think twice. Am I going to leave this behind without a guaranteed and where am I going? So that, you know, I, I would say uh, you seem a little bit more uh, risk taker than I am. I'm pretty risk averse person. So being in insurance is a good I'm not. I'm a freaking gunslinger. Yes, it's the I wild am a west risk averse person. So, you know, just thinking about, you know, making sure you have your partnership agreement right. How is your office going to be set up? You know, we need our own ENO, all the kind of, I need to put all the pieces in order to feel comfortable. I didn't just jump out my, my, one of my partners, he's more like you. He's like, let's go, let's do this. Let's, let's roll. I'm ready to rock and roll. Um, it took me, um, almost 18 months to get, <laughs> to get through my <laughs> due diligence process and make sure that things were going correctly. Um, and so do diligence, do smelligence. <laughs> I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, and in, in for the benefit of people listening, I don't think one's more right than the other. The different, the, the way that I view any of this stuff, number one, I, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I am absolutely fearless. I will try anything. I know when to cut bait quickly and get out of the, the deal, but I look at it like this. If I'm going to bet on anybody in the world, it's going to be me. And if I'm the one that's in control of what happens from a revenue standpoint, I'm going to bet on me 100% of the time. So when I launched the agency, I knew I didn't have to have operations figured out. I knew I didn't have to have my tech stack figured out as far as what it was going to look like five years from now. The real question was, do I have the intellectual capital necessary to go persuade people to buy from me? And the answer to that was yes. And do I have the desire to put in the work to do it? And the answer to that was absolutely yes. And as long as those two things were good, I figured once the revenue comes in, I'll be able to figure the rest of it out along the way. And I'll have money to buy the stuff that I need to make me more legit than what I already am. But that's why I didn't give it a second thought. At the end of the day, it was, can, can you sell? Yes. And do you want to work hard enough to make what you need to make to support your family? Yes. My biggest fear, truthfully, and the reason why I had never contemplated open up the agency was... <clears throat> the male ego. Okay. And what I mean by that is my wife has a really good job. So it was probably much easier for me to make the decision to do that than it would be for a lot of other people. For, if I was only looking at the financial end of things, I don't even mm -hmm. have to work. Okay. So see, we, this okay. is, we, we have the exact same, even though you may be more risk tolerant, I'm more risk averse. What you just defined is exactly what helped me jump over that that, that hurdle, that risk, that fear factor, because I knew I'm a technician. I know what I'm doing in insurance and I believe that I have the personality and the means and the discipline and drive to get where I need to go. So that got me, I bet on myself at the end of the day, just like you said. And then also I yeah. had the stability factor that my husband is, has a stable and good job. So while losing my income is difficult for me, uh, at the end of the day, we were going to be fine if it didn't work out. So mm -hmm. how risky was it? Um, I guess you could say not that risky. Um, so that, that's crazy that we have basically the same, even though our personality may be a little different about it. Yeah. And my, my thing was I was leaving. I was out of the insurance industry. I was gone completely. My wife is actually the one who talked me into opening the agency and she just she just basically said, look, you've been bitching about things for the last eight years. If you want to change the way things are done, why don't you just go open your own agency and do what you said you would do if you had the ability to do what you wanted? And she said, don't worry about us. 
see, my thing was I want to make sure the family was taken care of, right? right? I was concerned as the as as the traditional quote unquote provider, which you know we can get into a whole a whole different debate about that, and that's going to be the next episode. But from the man's perspective, traditionally, you view yourself as the provider. And number two, look, I'm just going to lay it out there: men don't want their wife making more than they do. Like they just don't want it. It's just the way it's the ego thing, like you said. Yeah, it's the ego, and you have to be okay with that. And for me, that was something that I had to mentally reconcile because I had opportunities to go work for other places that would have allowed me to continue to be the primary breadwinner in the home. Mm -hmm. But when I chose not to, I had to be okay with the fact that I wasn't, and I wasn't. For a fairly considerably long period of time, honestly, a couple of years. Yeah. I don't and, know, man. I, I, like I've always looked at it as like me and my wife are a team, so it doesn't really matter who's doing what as long as we're where we need to be. I don't really give a shit, and that's how I've always been with everything. Like when I was on a team, like even though I was like starting point guard and ran the show, and you know my my high school basketball team, everything like that. Like if I had five points, but I had fifteen assists, and we won by twenty, I don't care if I only had five points. Like we got, we got the job done, you know? And so I, I think that it's, that only works if you have a strong support, mm-hmm. um, like all three of us do. And, and I think that that's, that helps you jump into that situation that may be unfamiliar or risky, um, or, you know, with, with both feet. And I think that's really the only way to succeed is by jumping in with both feet. I think that my thought process is more that I am just so flipping competitive that when there's one other adult in the house to compete with, regardless of whether or not it's my wife, I want to win. It's not as much, you know, old school thought process, male versus female, you know, the Ward and June Cleaver deal and all of that. <laughs> Mine is, I just want to be number one all the time. Like that's my, that's what drives me. If you are ever around me, you will, I mean, you will know there's no doubt that I'm one of the most intensely competitive people you'll ever meet. It's just how I've always been. And so it gets me in a lot of trouble sometimes too. Yeah. But I, I really think that's what drove it for me. But once you get through it, then it's off to the races. Then, then my issue became, what do I do with all my time? <laughs> you know, here I am. I've been putting off doing this because I, I wanted to make sure my wife was taken care of. You would think that I was going to hit the ground and just be wearing out the shoe leather literally immediately. And that's not what happened, you know? And now I'm sitting here figuring out, okay, what do I do now? How do I get a website? How do I do this? How do I do that? I mean, once the agency was licensed, once the E&O was purchased, and once a couple of carrier contracts were in place, I needed to figure out how I was going to market, who I was going to call on, put my leads lists together again, and all of that other stuff. Because I started with a non-compete. I started, like, when I say I started from scratch, I started from scratch. Now, over the years, when my non-compete was up, my book of business has come into the agency, but that's not how it started. So when a lot of people hear about growth and everything else, they think that everything that we've ever written at Florida Risk is 100% organic, and that's not the case. A good chunk of, probably over 50% of the agency revenue is my legacy book that's come in. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I had a different challenge, and people will probably be surprised to know that even though I had worked at a very large agency before, um, I was not technically a producer. So the other kind of fear that I had and things that I had to prepare myself for is just uh, coming into producing. 
Um, so that was now, now, thankfully I have two partners. They have different styles than I do. Um, but I have somebody, you know, to kind of bounce things off of, but starting the commercial piece without a, a production background was interesting. You know, I had to learn all of that. Um, obviously at the agency I was at before, I was not responsible in any shape or form with getting carrier contracts. Uh, so figuring that out, uh, you know, is a big stepping stone. Um, we had a little small portfolio that we came into, um, that was helpful. And then, you know, one of the other producers in the team, uh, had been at a, a smaller brokerage before. So he was very familiar with all the carriers and how to work that out. Um, but I, I would say starting up, if we just talk about really the challenges, you know, getting your legal structure together, especially if you're with a partnership that can be a little bit, uh, tricky. Um, and then of course, you know, you have to figure out, are you going to be remote? Are you going to have an office? Do you need to get office space? Um, and then I would say the next important thing is getting your carrier contracts. Wouldn't you say, I mean, what can you do without carrier contracts and, or your wholesale strategy or whatever it is? Yeah, it's tough, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of using wholesalers. Like when you're trying to start out, obviously that's a route that a lot of people go. Um, or, you know, you, go the aggregator route, which is to me like a completely different end of the spectrum. And then you have companies like Indium that are out there that are just network access, period, market access that, you you know, you, you still own all of your book. There's not a buyout clause, but you have the ability to get sub sub producer codes and things like that. And I, I tell people all the time, you know, when I met Chad Eddy, the CEO of Indium, he, he told me, he said, we're the best kept secret in the industry. And I said, well, hey, Chad, if I would have known you like five years ago, I could have put a lot of premium with you right out of the gate. And so my advice to you is you're the worst thing to keep a secret in the insurance industry because you're literally the easiest place for somebody with experience, mind you, because Indium's not just going to take somebody who decides, hey, I'm opening up an agency. Let me go get markets and I'm going to reach out to this group. You got to be somebody who's got a proven track record of production, or you've got to be somebody who was an ex-captive coming in and shows that you can run an agency. But I, w I wish I would have known about that. And, w and what I don't like about the wholesaler piece and what's difficult is um, specifically your agency name's not on the top of those policies, right? I had to go down that road. So that when I opened, that's what I did. I worked with a wholesaler for admitted markets. And when I, I wrote a, a pretty large HVAC contractor, a couple hundred thousand dollars in premium. And when I go to deliver the policy, it's the wholesaler's name on the policy. And don't think for a second the CFO didn't notice. And that was his first question. Who's, who's this? Oh, well, let me explain. He goes, you don't have a direct contract with this carrier? And I said, well, no, sir, I don't. It doesn't necessarily... It, it was a point of contention. Thank God it was like after the policy was bound and everything else. And then the next year I moved them over to a carrier that we um, that we had a direct contact with by that time. But it, it can be tough, man. Carriers, to me, the carrier contract is really, that's the biggest piece. That's the gas that goes in the engine. Again, get that figured out and then you can figure out all of the other operational stuff. If you don't have carriers, you have no revenue stream. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there are, you know, creative ways to work around that if it becomes an issue, uh, but it doesn't, you know, cut against having your direct access. Uh, and I will say, uh, I don't, I don't remember. Do you guys do personal lines at all or not really? 
as little yeah, as possible. I, we don't do a lot of personal lines either. And I can tell you, it's actually more of a headache than on the commercial side, I feel like, um, in Texas. And, and you guys should be in the same boat. But when you have natural catastrophe issues, um, it makes it more challenging. It's not like every carrier in the world wants to be in this space, uh, especially on personal lines. And uh, so I think that can be even more challenging. So uh, if somebody was interested in just opening a solely, you know, personal line boutique agency, I would say, you know, really look at your market, look at where you're located and do your due diligence on that and your ability and where you are in the market cycle. Um, because right now in Texas, it is very hard to grow on the personal line space uh, because of, you know, the losses with the the freeze and, you know, the hurricane and other issues that's been going on. So. Well, it's funny because I actually have an account that's domiciled in Houston. That's why not? It's not domiciled. It's domiciled elsewhere, but we have a location in Houston and I had to put the coverage together for this distributor there. And when I did and the numbers came back, I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm at home. I mean, I was expecting these incredible rates and everything else. And Houston may as well be Tampa, Florida, in my yep. opinion, based off of what I've yep. seen. It's it's not it's not for the faint of heart, that is for sure. There's a lot of challenges that go on. Uh and so, you know, again, uh personal lines, you know, normally you would call that kind of vanilla compared to some of the manufacturing and, and challenging things that you and I might work on. Um, but because of these factors, it makes everything more complicated. When I talk to um, agency folks up, you know, like in Minnesota and different places like that, um, it's just like easy street compared. Uh, so it's not it's not for the faint of heart. And those are all things, you know, that to some degree, because I took it for granted being at a large company where we just had everybody lined up. I took it for granted. I just thought, you know, I know all these people. It won't be that hard. Um, but because of some of these challenges and then, and then the carriers have challenges on a uh, small and mid market space on, you know, wanting to have uh, enough market share with their agency partners, uh, it's not as easy as you would think. And so, um, you know, you need to have a good reputation. You need to have something to, to hang out and talk to carriers about to gain traction, um, Besides, hey, I'm just starting up a business. That that's not going to fly in Houston, in 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 the lower you know half of Texas, really. Um, so those are some of the challenges, and I'm sure that there's unique challenges in California, Florida, um, and other areas of the U.S. as well. So, what was the biggest thing that surprised you? So, and I'm interested in hearing your comment because you said it was an 18 month <laughs> due diligence process. It was. It was just working out all the details. It, I mean, my partners, so, I knew. So what? What? <laughs> what didn't you get through in that due diligence process that surprised you? What didn't I? What? What? What didn't you go through in the due diligence process? What did you miss? Anything at all in that due diligence process that ended up coming up as no, a, a surprise I, or whatever? And my partners would probably say the same thing. I would just say that when you're working, you know, I've worked with a lot of on difficult projects where you have stakeholders that can be similar to a partnership, but it's not when it's your own blood, sweat and tears, your own equity. Um, so just, there are just sometimes difficulties, even with the most agreeable personalities and getting things done. Uh, and so, um, I thought that we spent all this time up front getting things done, 
well, there's still things, you know, that you have to work through and challenges that are going to come up and hiring issues um, and all those kind of things. Um, you know, we don't have any big issues, but it's still, it, I would just say to summarize that it's more work in running. I thought having a smaller team would be easier and it's not actually having a bigger team at a bigger company is easier. <laughs> so it's just, you just have to be prepared. I mean, you know, if things are going on, you have to make time, you have to make time for your employees. You have to make time for your partners. Um, sometimes they probably think they're making more time for me than the vice versa, because I'm so, you know, OCD about everything. Um, but you know, I'm definitely not working less. I'm working more. You know, I think part of it depends on skill set too. And I agree with what you're saying. I think if you're responsible for a larger team, it's easier because you're not having to get granular with a larger team. You're working through department heads who are then mm -hmm. passing that information down or however it's structured. But when you have a smaller team, you're, I mean, I, I deal with this now. When somebody wants an answer to a question, I'm the one they're mm -hmm. going to come to. You know, and at some point, we'll get to the point where it's not as easy to get to me as it is right now. I don't necessarily want that to be the case, but that's going to have to be the case for us to scale. I can't control everything. And so I agree with you. I think that when you have a smaller team, um, it's a more personal interaction. I think there's a greater potential that you'll hurt people's feelings as you interact with them. I'm, I'm extremely direct. I'm used to the larger teams, you know? So when people say, they ask me for a, an answer to a question, I, my definition of the answer is the shortest way to get from point A to point B. You know, I'm not going to give you a beautiful word picture that's flowery and syrupy and full of emotions. I'm going to try and answer your question in a yes or a no. And if I can't do that, it's going to be in as few a words as possible. Absolutely. Yep. And I'm the same way. So, um, you know, you have to work on at some point as you grow, you know, everybody has to work on how you deal with and, you know, modifying your personality a little bit to fit different personality types. But I'm a really direct person and, um, you know, that can be a challenge for some people. Uh, the other thing that I would say is, is what's hard, uh, and I don't think this is, you know, just us in the small agency. I think that's probably us as in entrepreneurs with smaller boutique businesses in any industry. Uh, hiring is a challenge. You know, COVID has not made that easier. That great recession that people talk about is a real thing. And uh, we see that the bigger companies are throwing crazy amounts of money at people Um and, you know, with a small company, we cannot compete with that. Uh, so challenge uh, hiring can be a challenge. Um, you always just got to keep your eyes open and be ready when a good person is available uh, because it's not hard. I mean, I, I, in Houston, I'm sure it's the same in Tampa. We have all the big players in our back door. And so where two or three years ago, maybe companies our size weren't competing with the big guys on talent. It was just a totally separate pool. I think now there's more um, cross poaching. And uh, so it's just make it even more challenging uh, for us to hire. So hold on to your people. <laughs> well, it, well, yeah, that, but also be open to new ideas. I have a, a call every Friday morning with... Um, the people over at Savitel, which is a VA company that has started mm -hmm. um, out of the insurance industry. 
And I have learned so much about that. But one of the things that, that's interesting to me is specifically with that group, they're not pulling their VAs from the same places they're from that everybody else is. Most people are getting them from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I've seen some from Puerto Rico, some in Central America. Theirs are coming from Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And their people are all college degrees. They're all highly educated people that can do very specific things um, well, probably better than I can in, in many of the things that are their core competencies. And they've got a never-ending supply of these people because they can't get jobs. There are so many people graduating from university over there that can't get jobs that they're doing better by going and becoming virtual professionals that can use the skill set they went to school for to provide offshore labor for insurance agencies, mortgage lenders, and, and anybody else. And I think that's a huge thing that's changed. I think that, that COVID has probably changed that industry or helped mm-hmm. that industry as much as anything has just because a lot of us didn't have a choice. You know, when people went remote, let's call, let, let's call it what it is. Some of the people in the agency, not necessarily the most technologically savvy. Mm-hmm. Like, make it very difficult for them to work remotely. So you're not getting the same level of productivity in some cases. And if you can offshoot some of that non-client facing activity that's clerical in nature, that can be done by somebody for less money, but you know you're getting a a superior or as good of a work product all day, every day. I mean, that's where our agency is going to transition for many of the tasks that we're doing that tie up our time because my people are valuable and they're even more valuable today than they were a year ago or two years ago because I know what their value is in the marketplace. Absolutely. And so I got to keep them focused on the things that they enjoy doing, the things that make sense, as many revenue bearing activities as possible. And then we're going to offshore as much as we can or outsource as much as we can, I should say, um, because that's really the best business decision. And truthfully, it provides a better client experience for my clients because my people in-house are able to focus almost 100% of their time on the client experience now as opposed to shuffling paperwork. So a lot of changes, a lot of ways that you can approach opening up an agency. I'm going to wrap this episode up because we've been going for a while and we are going to jump on the next one and I can't wait to talk about that. So everybody have a good week and we will catch you next Friday. Happy Friday. been listening to power producers shop talk you can follow us at the power producers podcast on facebook and instagram and if you want to take your game to the next level check out our commercial insurance training course at killingcommercial.com or visit amazon to pick up a copy of our international best-selling book the extra two minutes